0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Energy News Beat Podcast. My name's Stu Turley, President, CEO of the Sandstone Group. We've got an action-packed podcast today with some old friends, my favorite Canadians. Now, let me set the stage here just a little bit. I've got two fantastic guests, and we're going to cover some of the um, most political and energy important things going on between the U.S. and Canada. First around the corner we have Heidi McKellop and I mean Heidi McKellop is a industry energy movie mogulist, as I call her an absolute wonderful energy leader up in Alaska. How are you Heidi? <laughs>
1: We're good. How are you?
0: Oh, I'm just so thrilled. I get my Heidi fixed today. So, I know.
1: I'm excited to be back. I missed you.
0: <laughs> and now, coming around the corner, uh, you know, we've always called uh, Heidi uh, on our previous podcast, the Snow White and the Two uh, Dwarves and Grumpy. Uh, Terry Edom is an author and he has written a heck of a book. It's um I had to sign my own copy because Terry is such a a loof author and he's also an author of the BOE report up there in Canada author and industry worldwide renowned grumpy how are you
2: <laughs> pretty good Grumpy as usual, I guess I would have to say. Oh, how fun. that doesn't Terry. change in the energy
0: world. Uh, I want to give our our listeners. We're going to have your um, uh, your information in the show notes and how to buy the book because uh, I am a closet Terry Enum stalker. I watch your your writings and everything else that I can get. You have oh, phenomenal thanks, uh, reach and opinions, and uh, I'm going to uh, uh Get this over here because one of your are uh, your earlier ones is your grumpiness in trying to make sure the world understands Africa deserves their own energy
2: yeah absolutely that's uh it's funny I started writing about Africa and uh one of my biggest supporters is an african a lawyer that uh, runs the African energy chamber and he's he's a huge fan as well Put a rave review of my book on LinkedIn, it's uh, I think that part of what drives me crazy about energy here in Canada and in the U.S. is we we're just so used to viewing it through our own lens. Like we think this has to change because this is what we see out our window and we consume too much of them, something. So the world has to quit using fossil fuels. And it's just all nonsense when you which is. Very obvious when you look at it from the thirty-five thousand foot perspective. Then you see this coming out of the G20 conferences, where India is making strong statements in China and Africa, and they're saying, "Hey, wait a bit. What about us? Like, so you guys have too much of everything in your, you can consume too much fuel. Well, we're just getting started." So, that, I think when I try and write about the energy scene I do try and do it from a higher level rather than just a national or especially the the Calgary oil patch centered view I don't think that's really helpful to the world people don't understand energy at all and if you just hear the someone from inside the oil patch talking about how great the oil patch is I don't think that does anyone any good so
0: no now now Heidi, you are the anchor between the three of us here is the three amigos. Uh, you're the only one that's sane uh, out of this group, and your your movie moguling about Canada, and that has been a fantastic documentary. It's got a bazillion views out there on uh, YouTube. How is your movie career going on and, and what you're coming around the corner?
1: It's really interesting right now. So we're working on a new documentary that will be published um, hopefully by the spring next year. So essentially, we're looking at the environmental impacts of green energy. So I think green energy has gotten a a really good side swipe pass, we could say, from the national and also the provincial levels of having adequate reclamation and having adequate um, environmental impact, impact assessments being performed. Because they just slid by the public eye as being green and they're relatively new industries, you know, compared to the oil and gas sector. So what we're seeing is um, they've been now established for 10, 15 years. They need repairing. They have issues with the solar panels and recycling them. There's not a lot of um, format in place in terms of policy of how to deal with these companies and what the expectations are. So we've been hearing from ranchers and from the Hutterites and from farmers and hearing from these people that have these projects in their backyard um, that, A, there's issues with them. You know, they're not perfect. And I also am deeply concerned about the overarching scalability of these projects. They're claiming to be, um, you know, the saviors of the planet in terms of uh, our energy moving forward. And what our grid right. can handle but realistically i mean the problems that they present on our grid system here in alberta are astronomical for one and the actual scale of energy that they're producing is far less than what they're claiming on in the public right. media they're saying that you know it's going to be x amount of energy you know 40% like in germany or whatever it is that these numbers are flying around we look at it and we look at the data in behind the scenes i mean they're performing at very low levels, extremely low, in my opinion, in terms of solar and wind. So uh, that's something that is concerning me. And, you know, I don't have all the answers, of course, because we're in the preliminary part of researching this and uh, talking to the ground, people affected by it in their backyard. But uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what we come up with as, you know, a, a conclusion to this topic.
0: I'll tell you, the whole energy transition ain't a transition. No, it's you it's uh Terry, I, you know, some of the things that we're seeing on this is that reclamation, Tidy, you bring up a fantastic point. Uh, nobody can tell me, A, when the, the wind farm starts, it's not sustainable fisc- fiscally. You got to have the tax subsidies. In cold weather in Canada, wind doesn't always work. Solar, you got to get out there with a shovel and, and uh, get the solar panels off and then the grid you've written about a bunch about this what are your thoughts out there
2: the uh, heidi touched on a very important point and and it's um there's, well there's several levels of deceptiveness and i think it's just over enthusiasm i think for people that really want a better cleaner world when they call green energy green energy it's it's like by default has become the good stuff because it's green, but it, right. it's that's not true. I mean, there's a whole web of industrial activity that has to go on just to bring that right. to you. And the second part is that this is a nuance that that I I catch people all the time on, not just myself, but when people talk about how renewable energy has gotten to 30 percent of the greater 40 percent or something, and they'll they'll make that claim all the time, say, oh, we got to 30 percent already and we're getting to 40 percent. They're being very selective about what they're reporting on. They're talking about a very specific time of day or a very short period. And there's a. Yeah, yeah. problem it's just yes.
1: it's deception though you know like the average person doesn't, yeah it's, it's so doesn't, deceptive they it's don't crazy catch that.
2: and yeah. the, the worst thing is the it's it's what I call the, the turkey problem from Nassim Taleb who's a, who wrote the black swan and a bunch of other great books I highly recommend he talks about the life of a turkey where a turkey has 365 excellent days and then one very bad day and so on average does a turkey have a good life uh it does but So the, and where that comes into the energy equation is I see these people talk about how we're getting more and more renewables into the system, but, but a power system has to be built for the worst day. It has to be able to handle the worst conditions. I don't care if you could get it to 90% renewables. If it kills everybody when the temperature goes to minus 30, is that the system that you want? And that's what we're heading for. And we see grid operators all over North America who are absolutely non-political organizations putting their hand up tentatively and saying, Hey everybody, this doesn't work. There's a uh, five grid operators in the northeast US that represent 154 million people have banded together to put out a warning saying we're we're retiring uh, natural gas and coal-fired power plants way too quickly and there's big trouble coming because that, we're introducing uh, unreliable oh, sorry.
0: Sorry. Was that ER uh well uh, the yeah, they they
2: they sent submitted that to FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, I think, right? Uh, which which oversees all energy and the grid operators. There's a bunch of regional grid operators, the ISO and ISO and ERCOT, <laughs> just ERCOT exactly. They're they're regional. There's a New England one and a Southeast one, and 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 Texas is on its own because it's so big, and they're 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 getting. Frightened and they say so in a bureaucratic way. They're very mild about it. They don't yap like I do, but they're and they're not, they're subtle like I'm not. But the the problem is coming and and somebody has to wake up because trouble is coming. So,
1: and Terry, I've got a question for you. So, why is it that they're allowed to say, for instance, that on their peak time, they're operating at 40% capacity on the grid? But when you look at the full day or say the full week or the full month, we know that that's not even the case. They're operating at less than 5%. That's what I've been coming up with. I don't even think that they would be able to increase it to 90% because up in Creek, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think there's that actual scalability problem that they're not even addressing. It's really odd because I didn't realize this when I was up in Pincher Creek, Alberta. So this is kind of for a backtrack, uh, Stu. It's one of the windiest places in in Alberta. Okay, They have to stop the wind turbines from operating when it's over 100 kilometers an hour, which happens quite a bit up in this region. So there's that problem. So it's not even when the wind's not blowing, it's when it's blowing too hard that there's an issue. And then there's another problem that they built them right in the migratory path for North America, where all the birds migrate through from the north to the south. So they're having huge issues with the environmental assessment on that end. And the biologists are starting to really make a complaint about this um, within their organization saying, you know, listen, like we got to start really thinking about this. We got to think about the bats. We got to think about these predator birds. And again, there's no proper um, environmental assessment that's being placed here. And it's like, okay, well, they're green are fine. And we're not even talking about the coal that it requires to, you know, build the infrastructure. We're not talking about all of the issues, with the diesel generators constantly going to make sure that these are operational. I mean, it's just blowing my mind how green this is getting. And I just it's it's ironic yeah. really at the end of
0: the day there's a couple things and it just drives me nuts that they're killing all the whales uh off of yeah. the uh the right whales are just going nuts Megan uh Lapp is a wonderful uh asset out there um but i just visited with Tom Kirkman i don't know if you know him off of linkedin he is a nut and uh and he was telling me that it's I, you know i was thinking that the eagles were hitting i'm Being the dork that I am that you guys know me as, I was thinking that these eagles are doping along and they're flying into the blades. It's not. It's the vacuum that they fly through and it explodes their lungs on the other side. I didn't know that. and yes. and in and in Michigan, uh, they're killing all the bats by exploding their lungs and yeah. they're now got a mosquito problem there. And, and well, so it's like exactly
1: bats are actually incredibly important to the environment. A lot of people don't realize this is that um they're very susceptible to environmental impacts. So they have a really um They don't have a high threshold for issues like this. So what we're seeing here in Alberta, too, is that there is an endangerment that's coming up through the pipeworks. And people are, again, really starting to, uh, you know, not oil and gas people. These are environmentalists and biologists are starting to understand the impacts of the pressure that makes their lungs explode from the impact of these uh, wind turbines. So. I mean I think it's really um sad to see that throughout this process and this conversation nobody wants to bring that up and I've heard about this for almost 8 years now about right. the birds and the bats. I mean it's been a long time but I it's only recently that I think people are starting to really understand because of the numbers declining in the regions and they're starting like you said Stu mosquitoes arise insects arise you have higher disease rates I mean there's just a lot of things that um, you know, obviously, we know come from issues like that.
0: I got about 16 things because I always get excited when I talk to you guys. But uh, Terry, you talked about we we talked on some of our earlier podcasts, which went nuts, by the way. Uh, so selfishly, I love having you guys on just because okay, of the podcast numbers. So I'm just being. all so uh, Heidi, not me. Oh, no. Well, <laughs> look, yeah.
2: No, no, we're a team. <laughs> I, got, I got my hair done and look, Kenny doesn't even show <laughs>
0: All right. All right, Terry. Now you're bringing up hair for our podcast <laughs> listeners. My hair color is flesh. So, uh, you know, that, that's that's kind of mean there, Terry. Uh, not only are you grumpy, you're throwing out really funny jokes.
2: <laughs> all right. All right. Uh,
0: so, OK. Now, reclamation. Let's we're, I want two topics here that as we go through reclamation on the wind farms, I'm only finding that they are fiscally unsustainable from day one without tax incentives. But then, and they say, oh, 30 years for a wind farm. Heidi, you alluded to that. They cannot be repaired past eight without their being abandoned and running off. And the farmers that you love, farmers, those uh, are having some real problems because it takes uh, 380 to 400,000 just to uh, take one down. That doesn't even include hauling the stuff off. In the US. And Terry, on another one that we need to follow up on is the oil and gas out of Canada is some of the strongest, regulatory, cleanest stuff in the world and i know that we're seeing more and more natural gas coming on so there's two topics that are huge
2: yeah well you i'll throw something in the middle there too like the, the oil and gas industry does have an issue with abandonments as well so I, but there were standards in place when a lot of things were done a lot of wells were drilled in the 50s and 60s and 70s right. and the standards were a certain way and things were done according to that and times have changed since then and so that's caught a lot of Older assets off guard and place this in a problem. So, so there, there's, uh, I think any big any energy system that you're talking about right. that is going to meet the needs of our populations is going to have a footprint of some kind. I think the biggest issue for me with the renewables is that it, you're just not allowed to talk about it. It's just like the media wants to sweep oh, that yeah. under the rug. So they're like the the statistics that you're talking about put up and take down wind turbines and what is a solar if you if you're if you really care about the environment you can't tell me a solar field is good for the environment it's it's just it's like roundupping of the whole thing it's there's nothing left and it talk about habitat destruction there's no more maximal habitat destruction than a solar field so it's the um there there's these multiple standards i think that are, that's the problem for me anyways is that um we're charging into this stuff and it's it's not into this all-renewable world because people have kind of uh, painted it to be so. And there's a lot of a lot of vested interest now making a lot of money um, in this industry. And look at the green funds that are going around, almost unaccountable. We're seeing that in Canada. It's just a nightmare how much money is getting shoveled into absolutely ludicrous projects. And the downside, we should have learned all our lessons from the the, the costs, the environmental costs of actually having an energy system, and we should be moving forward. And the oil and gas sector is moving forward. We keep implementing new legislations. When there's a spill, the, the standards for everyone increase. Pipeline inspections increased after the, um, well, the shipping industry in, uh, increased their standards incredibly after the Exxon Valdez. After the um, Enbridge spill in Michigan, pipeline standards went up everywhere. So we keep ratcheting up. We're better, getting better at capturing methane and less leakage. So we, we keep moving the bar up. But but then at the same time, this green energy, as they call it, is just going rampant. To, and, and we're Putting these fields in without even understanding the consequences, like Heidi's been pointing out, uh, yeah. in, in, from like in, from the most pure environmental sense, you can talk about, uh, we're creating environmental problems that they don't even understand yet, and we're have our foot on exactly. the gas. So. Exactly.
1: And the, and the solutions. I mean, let's talk about some of the solutions that can happen. I mean, again, I, we're entrepreneurs, we're industry people, we're energy people. We don't care if there's a new energy that's coming through. A lot of people mistake that, especially because of what Terry and I do for work. We're saying we can allow everything to work and operate in Canada, but don't demonize a coal mining industry that has a great reclamation plan that is going to be you know, mined and operated here in Canada. And we're going to displace it now to China so that we buy our solar panels from China. I mean, they're going to have the dirtiest footprint that we can imagine. We can't even have, um, you know, what's the word for it? Um, We're not even allowed to look into what they're doing on a day to day basis over there. They have no transparency. So these are major concerns. And another thing, too, with any energy, um, you know, company that's coming into, Alberta or say Canada, what I'm trying to propose is that each, um, Each operation that happens is that there should be a trust that is allocated to reclamation from the start of the project. So whether it's a wind farm, whether it's a coal mining project, has to start. It's not going to finish with reclamation. It's going to start with reclamation. So if the company decides to have mismanagement and go bankrupt at the last minute after they've extracted or utilized, you know, the resources to their benefit, whether it's a subsidy or the coal, then they have something that's in place from the government standpoint that can be allocated to the reclamation that won't won't go to taxpayers and it won't go to the landowners. It will be fairly reclaimed and put back to its original form. And to me, that's a great idea because it yeah. really puts the pressure off of the average state person. And the oil and gas industry should have done that years ago as well. It should have been agree, um, this trust that carried through. So we didn't see the, um, you know, these legal things that happen to the industry that causes huge reclamation of crisis.
0: I'm going to ask because I agree with you on that. And Terry, you brought up a a great point on that. But what's happening is the cost per return on on energy created. And when you sit back and kind of take a look, Heidi, the the wind farms, uh, if we put in the reclamation up front, uh, the consumers are going to have to pay for that up front And then uh, the regulatory stuff in the U.S., and I don't know about Canada, and that would be a good question for you guys, is the regulatory stuff in Canada, I mean, in in the U.S., is they're not allowing for the increases that the wind farms are wanting in order just to even make the maintenance available. How are they going to get the increases to get the reclamation done at the end of the cycle when they're way unprofitable? So how do they get that done in the front when they can't even get it affordable enough? Does that make sense?
2: yeah, it doesn't work, and and I think the issue is they they would just have to. I, I know what you're talking about when when um, utilities utilities and infrastructure companies in general they love to spend money because they right. just roll it into the rate base they call it. So they they earn a return on capital. So if if the regulator allows them a 15% return on capital, well, if you put a billion dollars in, then you get 150 million dollars return on your capital. And if you put uh, two billion in, you get twice that. So it's a good thing. So as right. long as they can borrow it cheap enough, they love putting money in. So regulators are saying, well, you can't put that into the rate base and charge everyone on it, so they won't do right. it. But but that should be just part of the capital uh, cost of a project. Just like Heidi said for oil and gas, it should be. When, when a company goes out and drills a well, I think uh, Montana actually does this. They say you're required to post a bond when you drill a well that... Um, it's Montana, North Dakota that, that will um, uh, will be placed into reserve for the eventual abandonment of that well. And it's actually kind of painless when you do it that way because that money grows over time. So if you put aside oh. 50 or a hundred thousand dollars in 20 years, that'll grow to something substantial at any kind of interest. Well, it wouldn't have a two percent interest rate, but it will today. But um, the that, that money does grow over time with inflation roughly. And uh, so then it'll be um, a, a si- more sizable than it sounds like at the outfront or at the outset. I mean, so th- there are ways to do mm-hmm. it. But but I think you're right about the oil and gas sector. They just don't. or I mean, the uh, wind and solar sector, they don't make any sense cent- without the subsidies. And then if you have to pile an additional cost on, then they're just even further from it. Well, you've seen these big power co- uh, companies walking away from offshore wind that that it's happening more and more now because it just doesn't make sense.
1: Exactly. There's going to be a crisis and it will be such a huge environmental impact. I mean, This is ironic that, uh, again, a lot of people in the green energy movement have zero accountability, too. I mean, if you really care about the environment, I mean, don't you want to know what the full life cycle of these projects are? How you're going to reclaim them, how they're fabricated? I think that would be the first thing I would ask. And yet there's there's nothing. There's no.
2: Yeah, that's the most mind boggling part is that should be the very first question they ask is what is the environmental footprint of this? And it's that you just don't even hear that. You'll see, sometimes you'll see someone pose the question. I have a 15 year old car that that emits a bunch of emissions. Is it better off for the environment if I drive it for another 20 years or if I buy a new vehicle, or if I buy an electric vehicle? And it's a valid question. And I would think that you're far better off to keep driving that old clunker, even if it's spewing some emissions rather than building a whole new vehicle. It like it's add up, do those comparisons, but but that's the sort of thing you're not allowed to talk about, or you're branded as a denier or some oh, yeah, so.
0: That's like you guys sitting down at the pub uh, on the outside uh, that we had talked about in the past on our thing. You guys throwing rocks at the EVs as they go rolling by. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I got a complaint from uh, the restaurant where you were hitting them with some of your dinner rolls.
1: No, perfect. <laughs> I mean, They're
0: it, it just dinner rolls. It could get.
1: Me I my know course. dinner rolls. Yeah, but they
0: were dinning the side of the Tesla because it's made out of plastic. <laughs> oh, you, you know boy. what? Oh, you know
2: what, Stu? There's um, there's a pl- place for EVs and I don't mean to dismiss them entirely uh, and all of these things that's the, the frustrating part all of these things have a, a place. place in in urban areas of temperate climates like Seattle or Vancouver maybe an right. EV makes perfect sense where it never gets cold and it never overheats and you just you're mostly urban driving you can charge it and now it doesn't in those places because they all live in apartment buildings but that's another story but you can at least make the case that or for delivery trucks maybe it makes perfect sense to run around the city or even solar. I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago. Um, there's a company, a Saudi Arabia company called Aqua Power, and they're desalinating water using solar power, which is just the best use for solar I can imagine because it's it, you can it can operate for part of the day; doesn't have, have to operate the whole day. Right uh, when the sun's shining, they're making fresh water, and they, they make hundreds of thousands of gallons, and it's right. it's a lot of water they're making. And what what a great use for solar power! And Agreed. Put it in some desert yeah. area where you're minimizing the uh, harm to any environment like some in it right? california
0: it's and and the city. solar i saw that in israel in gaza the only stations that are working are the solar water con, uh fresh drinking water that's well, there you go. pulling so, it out of the air and that's providing drinking water for the gazans because it's solar and it's working off of the air and it's Providing it. That is a perfect solution. Terry. That's a perfect solution. Yeah. And same seawater, too. You could, you, you and could. And what a
1: big difference that is. Like, that's an entrepreneurial way of looking at a problem, though, and saying, how can we solve it to the best of our capability within these parameters? I think that needs to be the new framework moving forward. And, but if you're trying to, fit somebody into a mold or fit a project into mold like solar and say it's going to take over our entire electricity grid here in Canada is absolutely a false I mean it's I can't wow. see it happening maybe in 50 years maybe there's something that will shock me that will come into the industry that will be something we can reflect back on but as of right now that is not going to happen by 2030. <laughs>
2: Fuck. No that's that that just true. that's not just yeah. our opinion I was uh I had coffee with a friend on the weekend whose wife is the president of a utility here in Alberta. And he said, it keeps her awake at night trying to deal with all of this, the the grid instability that's coming. It's, uh, it's it's not a joke, but they're, the PR war uh, doesn't allow them to be very active on that front. Like to mm-hmm. to point out the fact that uh, a residential street can handle very few electric vehicles without blowing the fuse, so to speak, whatever the equivalent is. But they, they simply it's true they just can't handle them. Um, yeah, it, it, they're not built for that. So how do you rewire a, a city to handle these massive voltages? Some guy r- wrote to me. He's a very greenish kind of guy, and he. He wanted to get a heat pump put on his house, so he, right now he has 100 amp. Uh, his house is wired for 100 amps of power. So he hired an engineering firm to uh, to uh redesign his house, to put in a heat pump. And he said, since you're out here doing all this work, I want to get wired for an electric vehicle. So the, the firm told him, OK, if you want a, a heat pump, you need another 100 amps. So now you're doubling it right. to 200 amps. And if you want an electric vehicle, I'll uh, let the fast charge, you need another 100 amps. Now it's 300 amps. And so the engineering firm went to the utility and said, we'd like to wire this guy's house for 300 amps. And they said, no, you can't do that. <laughs> so like wow. they just won't do it you they you you can't get permission to do it so 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 here's somebody trying to do what we're deemed to supposed to be doing right and 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 their utilities are saying you're not going to do it we just won't let be was, it, uh, was it a heat
1: was it a heat pump for atlantic canada so it was free <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah that's what we do in canada we we hand out free heat pump our wonderful government with
1: <laughs> but only with only the, in certain regions of canada you know, that yeah <laughs>
0: Now, speaking speaking of knuckleheads, uh, in the Canadian (laughs) political, because Alberta pays so much money uh, back to the you know federal coffers,
1: uh, (laughs) exactly
0: back to the 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 way the government uh, you know is set up. Is there any way to reclaim what the government is taking from the Albertans, giving it there and then giving all that money to the wind that doesn't work? And again, this is not a anti-wind. This is an anti-energy project that doesn't work. Is there any way to get Heidi, that money back? <laughs> Heidi, i let you tackle that one. Ha- Heidi's pretty connected in the political world.
1: Well, I mean, I think there's some interesting things that Alberta's doing that Danielle Smith, our premier, has been really tackling. So one of them is actually going after the Canada pension plan. So they're trying to make, um, well, there's a referendum that was being put in place because because of our high um, you know standard of living here and our incomes and what people contribute to the CPP, is that it's it's disproportionately <laughs> higher in Alberta, of course. I mean, Albertans just pay out to everything in Canada. So, what she's proposing is this would be one um, way of trying to get a little bit more independence and keep more of that wealth here in Alberta. And that's just a win win, in my opinion. I know that there's a lot of uh, different wow. opinions on this, but that's kind of the overarching idea of it. But nice. another one is. Now, are
0: you involved? Sorry, Heidi. Are you involved hmm. helping her write this? Is that what you're?
1: No, I I don't. But I've, you know, worked with Danielle Smith in the past. So I have a little bit more of a connection to what the platform is that she's doing. And, you know, I've had quite a few friends now that work in in these um, deputy or, you know, I would love to
0: have her and you on another podcast and talk about that because we could get the word out for her and and help out so reach out to her let's get her on and talk about it
1: that would be really she would be a perfect person to chat with all about this because what she's also doing with the sovereignty act and that was a really interesting piece of um you know legislation that she was proposing is we're we need to have more of that independence here in alberta and we have we have the right to say what we want to do with our resources here. It's not under a federal jurisdiction. So she's really defining in the courts what is provincial and what is a federal um, issue. And she's nice. won a couple of times um, based on this. And she's had a lot of success by going through the court system. This is not a public opinion. This is what our constitution says. And we have a leader who does not hear to the constitution. He doesn't really care about the Canadian constitution. And he's trying to make his own rules up as he goes based on what the greater Toronto area believes, what his following in Quebec believes, and really is dis- re- disregarding anybody that is in contrary to him. And that's not the way that democracy works. You know, we uh-huh. all operate and have to function as a unit. And even if we disagree, we have the this idea that we're supposed to play nicely with each other. You know, we should have this inner trade. We should be able to have free commerce. We should be able to propose projects if they're done properly. Um, Yeah, so it'll be really, it's quite a battle that she's up against, but we're very lucky to have her as a leader. Now,
0: guys, I would love to put my chowder head up against your chowder head and and I'll raise you another chowder head because I think our chowder head is even dumber than your chowder head because he doesn't even know (laughs) where he's at. In fact, when he's walking down the aisle, I think he's got a uh, the Secret Service is behind him with a package of uh, adult depends because they got to clean him up on aisle
1: five. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs>
0: so, I'm sorry for you. I just went off on a rant. Get, uh, well, I,
1: I, I think they're both the same because what they both are is... <laughs> They are, in sorry to say this in a non-offensive way, but they are puppets to their people that they are in behind the scenes. You know, Justin Trudeau isn't just Justin Trudeau. He is representing this large group of, people that are behind him that are only caring about their needs. And we're seeing this time to time again in a lot of these issues that are coming up. And we're like, where is this coming from? And feels like left field, but there's really a lot of te- intent behind the scenes. The same with Joe Biden. Right. You know, he's got a lot of people that put him in that position that are taking full advantage of that that authority. And that's really what what it's about. And that's what our democracies are becoming very dysfunctional with. Instead of thinking about the greater good of the citizens, they're thinking about an individual elitism that's benefiting from the the federal money that is being put in place, right?
2: There's a good example of that. Uh, I don't know how closely you follow Canadian politics, but Heidi mentioned it earlier, that Trudeau, Trudeau's party is a the powerhouse in in atlantic canada he there they get they win a lot of seats there and, and it helps him stay in power and his uh popularity has been falling there because of the carbon tax because people are really realizing and now that people ignore something for years until it hits their pocketbook and they see what is this and that now they're angry and uh so he 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 caved on his carbon tax. He broke his most sacred principles of of, of the climate emergency stuff by granting uh, a waiver to Atlantic Canadians to uh, to exempt home heating oil from from the carbon tax. And and that just absolutely blew up in his face. But that's what Heidi is saying. He's, he's he, he will sacrifice pretty much anything, even his most deeply held principles for more votes. And it's just everybody across the spectrum is even disgusted by that. I think just the, like the shameless display of it, it's it, it was appalling to everyone.
0: Do you see a great awakening happening? I called for this last year when I was interviewing several folks, and I said that 2023 is going to be a great awakening, and it's a little slow, uh, kind of like me from Texas and you know We're a little slow, but uh, I think that the great awakening is happening around the world. People are tired of paying for high electricity. Is the great awakening against the climate hypocrisy coming to Canada.
1: Well, we don't know if it's going to be enough or not. I think that's the problem oh, we're facing, is yeah. that we have still a disproportionate amount of people in the urban centers that are so pro this idea of this woke culture. And that's the most disturbing part about it is it's not energy. It's everything. You know, everyone gets lumped into whatever category. If you're conservative, you're for all these issues. And if you're this, you're for these issues. And we're seeing that divide, obviously, happen in Canada over the last few years quite extensively, that it's caused a lot of friction between families and between provinces and and i don't know how to repair that i mean certainly the federal government that is currently sitting there i mean they, they have to go i think they have caused more harm in this country than i think most people have seen in its longevity of of since canada has been canada which wasn't I even mean, very long
2: no you <laughs> we've we've baked in a generational problem here like you have young people of today are are this sounds facetious but it's absolutely not they're terrified of the weather and they've been led to believe that you can change it You can fix the weather. All you have to do is curb these emissions, and and if you don't, we're all doomed. So there you go, kids. You two on that. oh, oh, why are you such neurotic little weirdos? Well, I wonder why. So and we've
0: that's my grumpy coming out. You go go. grumpy. Go grumpy. Go
1: grumpy. But But Terry is making such a good point on this because I, you know, I'm a recent mom. And, you know, most young people, if you interview them and there's a huge proportion of Canadian kids that don't want to have children because they're scared that the world is going to end. So they actually say in these you know polls that we're doing out here that they don't want to have a future because it's going to end anyway in 15, 20 years. That's that's how how frightening um, Justin Trudeau's rhetoric has become in the NDP's rhetoric over this. Instead of providing solutions, instead of saying, we're going to reward good behavior, we're going to reward everybody that puts a huge foot forward in right. carbon sequestration, in a full life cycle of decarbonizing an industry, of right. utilizing things more efficiently. I mean, these are all great, ideas and empower entrepreneurs, they just, they don't care. They're like Terry said, they want that vote. They want to be in there. They want to have that woke culture. And we're heading straight towards that bottom. And personally, I I feel really sad to say this, even with the inflation crisis going on in Canada, we haven't even come close to hitting that bottom because people are digging their heels in more and more to that party and saying, you know, it doesn't matter. Like we're, we're here for it. Like we're here for that change. We want to see the climate go back and we want to see the entire industry um, of oil, oil and gas and other different hydrocarbon industries completely gone out of Canada. So
0: Terry, on the on the it seems with the LNG just going nuts around the world Canada had the opportunity for the pipeline to finish out and then create the LNG export facility on the west coast, I believe British, British Columbia if I remember yep. right. Uh, How's that going? Because that is huge. I mean, my chowder head, excuse me, the country's chowder head. I didn't vote for this knucklehead. Day one, when he cut out the Keystone pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. We needed, we needed that, that great Canadian oil uh, rather than buying it from Iran, which we do believe it or not. Um,
2: So it's uh, sort of jumping, but yeah, it's, it's moving ahead, but I think the frustration, so the, the, there's a pipeline called Coastal gas link which will carry the gas from Alberta and northeast Northwest northeast British Columbia to the coast right. and that's constructed, but we're waiting for the LNG terminal to be constructed. but that's one out of 18 that were proposed. and the um, the, the consequences of this are, are again, if you look from the high level perspective, right. so last a year ago, Europe was heading into an energy crisis. Now, part of that was the Russian invasion, but they're out of natural gas. Europe is a wealthy, Western Europe is very wealthy. They outbid everyone for LNG cargos. So you had poor Pakistan and Bangladesh and countries like that sitting with their checkbook out saying, we want LNG cargos, and Europe just took them all. And so what are those countries doing now? They're building coal-fired power plants. So that, that's their solution. They're saying, we need fuel and we're going to get fuel. And we don't care what it is. And you can talk all you want about your mantras, about net zero, whatever you want, but we need power and we're going to get it. Now, if Canada had been on the ball, we would be supplying that LNG. We could have had a terminal ready 15 years ago if we if yep. there was any political will. Instead, we've got a prime minister who says there's no economic case at all for LNG. And the rest of the world is just in stunned disbelief uh, to hear that. Um, I was just doing some research on that. There's like nearly 300 LN terminals, import terminals being built around the world and nearly 200 export terminals. Uh, trains being built around the world that's the demand for natural gas globally. right and if if it doesn't get met with natural gas it, or, well people are waiting for nuclear they would love nuclear but that's such a, a long-term thing and there's so much right. resistance we have green groups that are fighting nuclear power which is absolute proof that they they don't they're not sincere about uh, the environment
1: <laughs> they fight everything i mean oh they fight everything Shocking. yeah
2: that it, it's like heidi said they have a they have an agenda and it doesn't matter what topic it's in. They put you in one bucket that it's, it's, it's gender, it's race, it's middle East, it's oil and gas. It's like, if you believe one thing, you're evil across the entire spectrum. You're not allowed to have cross ideas. I mean, but the average person does, right? Like 90% of the population is sensible and they believe these things are right uh, across the spectrum. But, but the, the way we're built and the media frenzy, they don't like that. That doesn't, no. get them views. So
0: we got, we got about five more minutes guys, but this got my Heidi and Terry fix that I've missed for so long. And I'd love to have <laughs> you guys back in the near future, as opposed to years from now. Um, <laughs> and if you ever have anything that you want out, please let me know. Cause I want to get your story out. Well, um, I think
2: yeah, Danielle and Heidi would be a fantastic uh, episode. hmm
0: Yes, I think so too. You guys are industry leaders and, and I would like to have a race between who's the, the the race to the bottom with the chowder head at the helm. Cause your chowder head was getting in a fight with India and then ours is going out and starting wars. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Our, our, ours is just dumb. Yours is dumb and aggressive. But <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> terry we has po-
1: that podcast up. <laughs> all
0: right with with that terry what's your last word or what's coming around the corner <laughs> I, I don't know I, i'm
2: fearful like heidi says we just have to wait it out and hope that the damage isn't too great like canada and the u.s we're, we're being we're being placed in an incredible financial hole with all of this waste that's going on um shoveling I think Canada's up to like $50 billion in subsidies to build battery electric vehicle battery plants in Canada. Now the, the government watchdog has said you're way understated how much this is going to cost the federal government. And we're building these white elephants. Then China is just going to dominate battery processing because like Heidi said, they don't care about their, the consequences of it. We're building all of these factories for billions of dollars and they're probably not even going to get used because we, we won't be able to compete with other parts of the world. And, and, uh, The government just signed a check the other day for $150 million to develop green hydrogen to ship to Germany from Newfoundland, which makes there's not Mm. a person alive other than a politician that thinks that makes any sense. It's just the most irrational scheme you could imagine. And there they are like grinning idiots writing checks for it. So I got, I got I, one, I, Terry. I, I
0: got one that's just even worse than that. the The oh Biden administration was looking at getting chickens raised in the U.S. shipped to China to be processed as food and then shipped <laughs> back. I am not kidding. I'll see your idiot and raise you. <laughs> okay, sorry. And Heidi, what do you see coming around the corner, Heidi?
1: Well, I mean, I think. That's, you know, has been the basis of my company and my films for quite a long time now has been just like the average Joe person going on camera and trying to really find a voice for the ranchers, the farmers, you know, um, the people that live in the rural parts of Canada, because they, to me, have a lot more common sense than the urban the urban centers do, there seems to be this um, complete disregard for the country way of life. And that is something that I'm really passionate about moving forward is that they have a direct um, understanding of these energy forms because it's in their backyard. It's not you know somewhere else it's literally right there on their acreages so i've learned a lot through them and i've learned a lot nice. by asking them questions and you know i'm really thankful to have a, a job where i'm able to be in close contact with these individuals so you know i'm i'm excited about this new film i hope it does well i hope it's controversial and gets people talking because obviously we want controversy because that's really how we get conversations floating
0: i think that's fabulous and congratulations on being a new mom
1: oh thank you (laughs) it is so cool she's pretty Uh, amazing
0: (laughs) oh that is and i got my canadian my best buddy canadians and terry your book the end of fossil fuel insanity is a good read And especially when you sign it as uh, to my favorite podcast host, who is an amazing man. Yeah, that's Uh, what I
2: wrote. I think, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I think
0: it it was. Something like that. With that, (laughs) thank you. This has been the Energy Newsbeat podcast with Stu Turley. Thanks for listening. And we will have our My Favorite Canadians back again soon.